Welcome back to the Whiskey Smoke. I'm your host, Yuwante Curry, and today my guest is Alan Richards, a retired engineer of 39 years with Lyndale Bussell and also a UT Austin grad and an all-around whiskey enthusiast. Welcome to the show, Alan. I'm glad to be here. Alan, I see you brought a rather impressive collection. Uh, could you tell us about it? The bottles that I brought today uh, are four that uh, were barrel picks that um, a group of us uh, in the Clear Lake area did for uh, NASA Liquor. So I thought I'd uh, share some of those with you. Obviously, the one in the middle is the William LaRue Weller. That was not one we picked, <laughs> although I would love to have that opportunity. But uh, the ones on each side are, are some of our single picks. Okay. And, uh, We'll talk about those in, in a little bit and maybe even taste a couple of them. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to tasting it. So why whiskey, Alan? What got you into whiskey? Because not only are you into whiskey, you're heavily into whiskey. Well, I guess uh, being an engineer, I tend to be a little bit OCD. When I get into things, I tend to dive deep sometimes. So, um, But I started uh, around 2006 uh, into uh, cigars. I, I came from a pretty conservative family family. Um, we didn't have um, alcohol in the house, and so I was, I was kind of coming to this late later in life. But around 2006, I had some opportunities uh, with some friends to, uh, to try some cigars. I kind of liked it. I liked the relaxation of it. And I guess, um, not to get too philosophical, but um, one of the things that I like about uh, cigars and spirits is uh, the camaraderie. Uh, that's, that's a big part of the draw is you, you can relax, you sit around, you talk to some guys. Everybody's equals. Uh, you know, we, we just went through the midterm elections with all the division that's right. going on and the, you know, the issues that we see around the world. And, you know, that just tends to kind of go away when you're sitting around having a, having a cigar or a drink with, with uh, some people at a, at, a, at a bar or your house or wherever. And so, you know, for that for that hour or two, the world is as it should be, rather than all the issues that we have going on. So that, that to me, is a, is a lot of the reason. Right. I love the, the fact of whiskey and cigars being a great equalizer, and then yeah. you just sit there and you just take a spot out of time, and right. it's like time freezes yeah. while you're enjoying yeah. yourself with, with the people you're enjoying yourself with. So cigars, is there a favorite? Is there a favorite shape, size, brand, well, you find even like with, with whiskey, I'm I'm pretty all over the map. I tend to be the darker cigars um, brands. Uh, you know, you can't beat a Padron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Padron doesn't make a bad cigar. Uh, Drew Estates, another uh, another common Oliva. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oliva makes some great cigars. So I'm, you know, I've got a, a humidor with a, with a broad range of cigars that I kind of go through a little rotation. It's all over the map. But uh, when I first got into it. You know, back that was before some of the social media, mm-hmm. and there was a, a website that was uh, moderated by someone here in Houston uh, that uh, that, I, that I found, and I, I got, became part of that group. And we actually met around Houston, uh, you know, once a month or so at various various uh, cigar bars, and so that kind of established uh, you know the cigar uh, hobby. And as I got into that, you know, I was uh, reading on some of the cigar websites, and they would talk about various whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, uh, if you remember the uh, Downing Street yes, on uh, Kirby and Westheimer, you know, rest in peace. Was, a historic sorry, landmark of Houston. Sorry to see it gone. So I went in there, and um, I believe my first scotch was a Macallan 12. And uh, that was kind of my, my gateway into, into spirits. From there, it's blossomed to um, scotch and bourbon and rum and just a variety of, of spirits. But, um, but that uh, Macallan 12 is probably one of the, the first ones. 
I said there was, I didn't have much alcohol in, in our in our family, um, so I didn't have much background. I, I remember trying some when I got into the business world, and you'd meet some uh, some guys at a bar. And most of what I tried back then, my recollection is it tasted like diesel fuel. You know, I'd, I, um, it was horrible. And I remember the brand. I won't say what it was. I think it's still diesel fuel. But, <laughs> but that was enough that it, I just lost or never got interest until later on and, you know, got married and had kids. And, you know, it just wasn't a part of my life until, you know, the kids started getting out of high school, had a little more free time, a little more disposable income. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, ventured off into you know, cigars and, and into whiskey. So we've talked for a while and, you know, when I first got to know you, I think you were going on a cigar trip to Esteli. Yes. Tell us about that. So I've been to um, Nicaragua uh, twice uh, and I've been to uh, Dominican Republic. Went to on the Drew Estate Cigar Safari Mm -hmm. and the uh, A.J. Fernandez factory tour. Both of those trips were uh, were phenomenal. You get to see the uh, the fields, you know, where they where they growing the tobacco. Uh, you get to see the factory from front to back, the aging aging barns, and uh, you also get to roll your own cigar. Uh, I want to say roll, develop a recipe. They'll put out a variety of leaves, and uh, you can smell them. You can you can uh, light them and get the aroma, and then um, come up with your own recipe, and then then they'll go roll them for you. So I usually come back with uh, three or four cigars that that you blended yourself, and it's uh, and it gives you some appreciation for the guys who um, the, the master blenders for for the cigar companies because it's not an easy job. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of a lot of skill and a lot of art to uh, to blending. So that that's one of the experiences that I, I found very interesting. So since you have your own personal cigars, how many have you smoked since you got them? Uh, I've got I've got one left, and it's uh, it's. I probably need to to get it uh, to smoke that one. It's getting a little bit of age on it. Okay, but I've got I do have one left. Now, for you, is cigar smoking a daily thing, or is it a special occasion thing, or how do you rate your cigar usage, so to speak? It's pretty much daily. Okay, uh, it's it's kind of my relaxation. You know, I um, will generally go out uh, before bedtime. I've got a, a room uh, where I can uh, get away from the weather mm-hmm. and. Um, I'll have a, a cigar and a couple of shots of, of bourbon or scotch and kind of unwind and then call it a night. So is there a pairing suggestion that you do or do you just walk in your room and then you think about what you want to drink and then you think about what you smoke or is there any preparation prior or you just walk in and... I don't do a lot of prior preparation, but you know I do put some thought into uh, you know the, the nature of, of the cigar and, and, the, and the whiskey. You know, you don't want to take a, a, a like a medium cigar and pair it with a George Stag. Mm-hmm. You know, just the, the Stag would overpower. Power, yeah. So you, you do think a little bit about uh, as you're as you're as you're pouring that evening. Uh, you know what the, what the cigar is, what bourbon or scotch is on hand, and uh, and try and kind of balance out the flavor profile so that one doesn't overpower the other. Okay. Now, when I'm smoking, I'm always thinking about you know the events of the day or. Sometimes just trying to clear my mind. Mm-hmm. Is there a is there something that you do a ritualistic around cigar smoking and drinking? Uh, usually have some music on in the background or okay. maybe maybe TV. My my Friday night ritual is uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives. You know so that kind of goes along with the uh, I, I guess the, the the whiskey in terms of uh, in, in enjoying good food and 
Uh, so that, that's always a, a, a fun evening for me. Okay. But um, generally just, uh, you know, I'll uh, have Facebook open and kind of see what's, what uh, some of the chats have been during the day. But uh, that, that's about it. Now, I keep looking at this whiskey and it's enticing. And where do we start first? Well, one I'd like to start with first, and uh, we, we can uh, talk a little bit more about uh, how we got into tasting these, but uh, the, um, the Four Roses on, on our left was the very first single barrel pick that uh, we did as a group that uh, has become known as uh, Four Horsemen. Okay. We made this selection probably in 20, late 2013 um, because the, uh, the date on the bottle says it was, um, it was, it was bottled April uh, 10 of 2014. Okay. And it usually takes a few months after you select it to, to um, have it come in. So I would say this one's probably about a 2013. That's, like I say, it's, it's our first first one. So we'll, uh, we'll try this. I haven't had this in a while. I'll talk about it here in just a minute. There you go. Thank you, sir. This is a uh, OBSV, which... Um, the Four Roses website says is a kind of a fruity profile. I personally find these to be, um, uh, I call them like cinnamon red hots. Cinnamon red hots. Um, but uh, it's, again, it's been a while since I've had this one. Uh, we'll, we'll see what it's like. It's 100 proof. And uh, the OBSV, that's the, again, it's the V recipe, and the B is the, uh, the high rye version. It's absolutely phenomenal. I can taste the red hot that you're talking about. Yeah. Cinnamon forward. Kind of get that cinnamon forward flavor. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a really good one. Even at 100 proof, the, um, most of the selections we made have been more, more barrel proof. But um, they did have a program where they would um, proof it down to 100. And so this was one of, one of those. That's, that's, a, that's a very nice one. When you're picking whiskey and you just mentioned you're part of the Four Horsemen, what are you guys looking for as a baseline or a profile? What, do you guys come to a consensus and do a vote or explain the picking process? Well, we don't have any one particular profile. Okay. Uh, we kind of let the whiskey speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. You'll see a, a wide variation from the Four Roses uh, to the Knob um, Creek. The Knob Creek is really bold, 12 years old, so mm-hmm. it's, it's got more, more wood forward. Uh, over to the Smooth Ambler, which is eight years old, and it's lighter and sweeter. Uh, so we look for unique flavors, you know, something that stands out that may be a little different than what you're going to go buy on the shelf. Because mm-hmm. if, it, if it tastes like what's on the shelf, then, then what's the purpose? there's no purpose, right. Yeah. So we're, we're looking for things that kind of stand out as, as being unique or, you know, particularly good in some, in some area. But, but we don't go in with anything in mind. Okay. Usually we'll have three to six samples, depending on, on what the product is. We'll each taste through uh, all the samples, and uh, then we'll kind of make a first pass. Is there anything that really stands out, mm-hmm. either good or bad? And it's kind of our first narrowing step. And then uh, you know, we may throw something out, or we may identify something that's particularly good. I, I recall when we did the uh, the Smooth Amber, that sample was the, was the first one that we had for the night. And immediately we said, wow, this is good. Mm-hmm. And then we went through the, the rest of them, the other four or five that we had. And just immediately came back to this one. It, it was was instant. There was there was no question. Didn't always quite happen that way, but I remember there were a few cases where it was just so outstanding. It's, it's unanimous. Unanimous. Now, have there been cases where you guys have gotten samples and you just decided, you know, these samples just don't meet our standards? 
Uh, in fact, the uh, the Four Horsemen is uh, is an example of that. Uh, we know the uh, rep for for Knob Creek, and he brought three samples to us, and uh, we tasted through them, and just said, no, these these don't meet our standard. Well, one of the things to, to keep in mind when you when you're doing some of these samples, what you're getting very likely is rejects from the previous people who tasted plus one new one. So, <laughs> so you know, they if they got six samples, they picked one. The other five go to the next group, and then they'll add one to it. Right. So you have to be careful because uh, you may be getting a lot of rejects unless they happen to miss a good one. But uh, so anyway, so we uh, we rejected all three. Fortunately, um, we're, we're on good terms with that vendor. And so a couple of days later, he brought us three more. Okay. And we tasted those three, and we picked two of the three. So... Out of six, we've made two picks, but we we initially rejected the, the first three. Wow, we've had had some uh, some vendors uh, get upset when we do that, but uh, I guess we're going to maintain our standards. If, if they get upset, that's unfortunate, but uh, we're not going to pick something that uh, we don't think is worth picking. Right, and I would think that the vendor would cut you some leeway as the consumer. You know, since you're the final end product consumer and you want to bring something that's different from their standard product, they would understand that and, you know, give you some leeway going back and forth with that. Fortunately, that is the case at times, but we have experienced one that uh, that wasn't the case. Okay. Wow. Well, I know you guys can't taste this, but it's incredible. I'm going to have another sip of it. Mm, Love that Four Roses. The Whiskey Smoke with Yuante Curry is sponsored by El Cubano Cigars. Blended by Cubans, handmade in Texas. Located at 904 East Main Street, League City, Texas. Call 281-332-9096 or go to ElCubanoCigars.com. I'm your host, Yuante, and I'm here with Alan Richards, all-around gentleman and great guy for sharing whiskey. So, Alan, I see that there is a bottle sitting behind all the other bottles that is rather, rather dusty and haven't seen one quite that dusty ever. People have heard about dusty hunting, and um, this bottle, as you can see, is the definition of a dusty. Mm -hmm. That is an old granddad. There's really no dates on it, but if you look at the bottom of the the bottle etched into the glass, it looks like 86. And when you look at the, um, the barcode, uh, you look at the the warning or the lack of warning label on it. The warning labels didn't really come into place until about '89, and so that, that's some of the things you can use to date a bottle. So this one, '86, looks about about right on that one. It's uh, made by National Distillers. That was before uh, Jim Beam bought uh, bought the Granddad name. Considered to be a butterscotch bomb. Should be very good. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll, ever open that one uh that's maybe one that's kind of sits around for a while but uh you can tell it's been sitting already i found that at a uh, little store uh in the heights obviously it had been sitting there a while they had already been picked over but this one was sitting in the back i kind of dug around and and pulled that one out the funny thing is as i went to check out the store owner had a cloth and he started to wipe it off for me and so i I went, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I Don't want do it, that. I want it just like it is. Yeah. So you can see it's uh, it's endured all those years uh, uh, with all the dust on it. So dusty hunting is something that I, I learned from some of the other uh, whiskey enthusiasts uh, in town. 
fortunately, I got started uh, probably around 2007 or 2008, and there was still quite a bit sitting on the shelves, although there were people before me that already made a pass through, and, and uh, a lot of the, the really good stuff was gone. But uh, there, was, there were still things sitting on the shelf. Probably by 2013 or so, they started uh, disappearing. And, and, and today, there's really not much out there. I've, I've been back to liquor stores uh, that, I've, that I've found things at, and it's, it's pretty much picked over. I know there's several of us, including me, that have virtually been to every liquor store in the city of Houston and uh, a large number around the state of Texas. And uh, we've, we found some nice bottles, but I think those days are pretty much over. So we've been at bottle shares together, and we've smoked on rooftops together, and we've seen some rare bottles come out. One, I think we saw an old granddad from 1941 at one of the events that we were at, something mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Yep. And I'm just a big fan of old, old granddad. Yep. You know, it's never disappointed me ever. No, it's uh, it's a phenomenal whiskey. Wish it uh, still tasted like it did back then, but it's uh, it's changed. But old granddad is still a a, a good uh, a good bottle and a good value bottle. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I don't want to run down the, the product that's being made today. It's good. It's not quite what this was back in the eighties. And I often find myself asking why why do you think that you know because now we have technology, and most of the time technology makes things better. But I've also found that whiskey is different. You can take the same whiskey brand and you can pick one from the olden times and then one from now. And it's just the profile is completely different. The taste is different. The smell is different. What do you think makes it different? I've Every person that I've pretty much had on here, we always end up in that why is old whiskey different tasting than new whiskey. And so I'm interested in your opinion. Um, there's a lot of guys out there smarter than me that uh, will, will give you a better answer uh, or can or, or may be able to correct some of what I'll say. But I, I think part of it goes back to the um, the barrel entry proof uh, mm-hmm. on the bottle. In the um, 70s, 80s, you know, the old, older bottles, the regulations did not allow you to d- distill as, to, as quite as high a proof. And I think that uh, allowed some of the flavors to, to carry over to the spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact date. This is where some other people can can fill in some blanks, but I think it was in the maybe the nineties. They allowed the distillers to start going to higher proofs. It's more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from a financial viewpoint, it makes more sense. But I think it uh, it tends to distill out some of the uh, some, some of the some of the flavors. So that's okay. that's my theory. Uh, at least a, a very crude attempt to kind of explain it. I like that. I like that. I've heard water. I've heard this now. So I'm just putting them all down. You know, yeah. one day we'll figure it out. Yeah, there, there's lots of reasons. But uh, but yeah, I, I do taste a difference. So where are we going to go from here? I, I mean, there's still plenty of stuff on the table and, you know, plenty of stuff to talk about. But tell us about the Smooth Ambler. Okay, well, uh, a little bit about the Four Horsemen and, and how we... Um, you know about our group, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll finish this off and try some smooth amber. The uh, the four horsemen. We were uh, we were all looking for bottles uh, in the local liquor stores, probably around 2013. I think that's about when we first met, and so we'd we'd pass each other uh, at the stores. We start recognizing faces, and uh, the the guys in the group: Randy Swellick, Steve Platts, and. Uh, Pasha Moshadai. You'll know Pasha from uh, the the bar that he's now opened uh, called Rosewater. All three of them uh, work at NASA, and so there was some familiarity with them already. Uh, and then again, I met them just 
hanging out at liquor stores and, and talking to people. And so I don't remember exactly how it came about, but uh, at one point, uh, I'm thinking late 2013, um, we had an opportunity to do a bottle tasting for NASA Liquor, and that's the Four Roses that we tasted at first. Mm-hmm. So we, we got together and found that we have uh, similar taste profiles. So it, we've kind of been uh, using that uh, as the opportunities as they come about to do some tastings. Most of we've done NASA Liquor. There's been a few other stores around town that's invited us to uh, to, to do some tastings for them. So we're we're willing to to go anywhere someone's willing to to have free booze. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent problem to have. So you guys taste lots of whiskey and. There are a lot of people who listen that want to develop their palate. How would you show someone how to develop their palate who's new to whiskey? Well, a lot of it is uh, is uh, just just experience. Uh, just either you know either um, through your own collection or uh, go to some bars, but uh, get to know some people that uh, have have been whiskey drinkers for a while that's uh, willing to share. And most of the guys are more than happy to, to share some experience and kind of point you some directions. But it's just experience. But um, one of the things that I found really interesting, one of our members uh, conducted a couple of um, blind tastings. And uh, through the blind tastings, it forces you to really concentrate on, on what you're tasting, looking for the flavors. And then when you figure out what it is that, uh, that you actually tried, then you start seeing some products that may open up uh, that, that maybe you, mentally you, you didn't think you might like. Right. But you, but you learn some flavors that, uh, or you start learning how to find flavors just through the blind tasting because it forces you to, to focus a little bit a little bit more. And um, the other thing it does is uh, you, you find people uh, that uh, have a similar taste profile. And so, you know, you, you kind of say, well, okay, th- this person likes the kind of things I like, so I might take some recommendations from them. You also find some people that have a different profile that, uh, you know, they, they, they score things high that you may have scored low. And you know, I'm going to say there's not really a right or wrong answer. I'm not going to criticize. You know, they, they just like some things that I don't like. I've, through that, I've kind of learned, well, I'm, I probably don't want to take their recommendation because I, they're, they're just different than me. So it's, um, it's just a journey. And, uh, you know, it's, as I say, it's just kind of a long marathon. It's not a sprint. So just kind of take it slow and experiment with different things and be open to, to different flavors. I was just going to ask you after you finished, was there a such thing as a golden palette? But after you just described it, I... I think you may have answered it but you know do you think there's a golden pellet um i I think i think there are differences yes Mm -hmm. there are some people that uh that can taste different uh profiles a lot of it is experience but i think we're all we're all different some people just have the ability to to taste certain things Mm -hmm. frankly i think uh, women probably have a better palate than most men Hmm. uh a lot of women that I talk to simply can't drink bourbon because they have such a sensitive palate that it, it just kind of, kind of kind of blows them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they can't they can't handle it. But um, the women who, who can, I think, a lot of times do have a more sensitive uh, a palate than, than than a lot of men. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's incorrect observation. But um, but, but there are different. there are differences. I'm seeing a lot of women sommeliers these days now, and you know, now that you say that, it makes perfect sense as to why you know the palate may be just better. Mm-hmm. But I also know that you know, from my background with guns, that women tend to shoot better than guys do. You know, they take the ego out of it and just focus on how it's supposed to be done. Whereas guys are like, "I've shot guns for years, and yeah. I don't need you to show me how to shoot a gun. I know what I'm yeah. doing." And the woman takes the information and 
yep. shoot straight. Well, in the next segment, we may talk a little bit about audio. And I found the same thing with audio. When I'm auditioning equipment or listening, uh, I found that um, my wife and, and, and other women generally have a better sense of hearing. Wow. So a little common theme going there. So for those of you who don't know, Alan's been married for 40 years. And to be married for 40 years, he has to have something that he knows that we don't. You know, to actually just love their wife for 40 years and appreciate being married and talk about her and describe you know how she listens to music and auditions equipment better than he does that's amazing i want to hear more about that but for now i'm going to try this old scout so this old scout was uh was probably one of my favorite brow picks and, and actually this was uh on the secondary market this one some guys got into bidding war i think this one hit like 350 dollars on the secondary market which was one of the higher old scouts that i've seen it's it's real pleasant. It's real sweet. This is one you get a lot of the uh, the vanilla, brown sugars, just classic bourbon flavors. And um, I'm thinking from my experience uh, with some of the old scouts, I kind of like some of the younger versions better. You notice this is an eight year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a chance to try some of the tens and elevens, but something about the the younger ones maybe uh, maybe they haven't been in the wood quite as long, so they don't have some of the as many of the wood flavors, so you get some more of the sweetness coming through. Not over-oaked. Not over-oaked at all. This is, this is one that I really like. This is pretty good. It has a great finish on it as well. Sometimes it's kind of hard to, to talk about whiskey and drink it at the yeah. same time. Yep. Yeah. A little pause is okay. Yeah. What, what do you like? I'm a big Wild Turkey fan. You know, I've liked a lot of their releases, and I like that they do odd year releases Mm -hmm. you know the american tradition you know like the 17 year old i just like how they release odd years they have the 13 year old most bourbons don't do odd years and wild turkey isn't afraid to do an odd year you know and i like things like that but the thing i love about wild turkey is that when you taste a wild turkey you know it's a wild turkey they have the distinct flavor profile like no other bourbon the moment you nose it, you can tell it, almost like Jack Daniels. When you yep. smell Jack Daniels, you know Jack Daniels. Yep. And that's yep. the same with that's turkey. Right. That's why I like it. That's right. You know, when I uh, have a chance to see a lot of people uh, when, they're, when they're sampling whiskey for the first time, uh, particularly novices, and one of, one of my observations is a lot of times they're, uh, they'll, they'll try and shoot it or, or just drink it and down it goes. And um, so that's part of uh, what I try and do when I find uh, – new whiskey drinkers is to do a little education that uh, you know you need to you need to spin it around because some of the aromas you know in the glass and nose it but then when you sip it you know, let it sit on your tongue kind of spread out just almost like you're going to chew it a little bit mm-hmm. and then just kind of let it dribble down the back of the throat and you get a lot more flavors than if you just kind of take it and knock and it just back knock it back yeah uh, but that's uh you know people do that i've witnessed several people who just you know their eyes go wide and oh, wow you know there's there's a lot of flavor there yeah you know and i think they're afraid of the heat a lot of times and uh so a lot of times if you let it sit for a minute you know maybe it's you know killing off the the taste buds or something i don't know but it kind of mitigates some of the heat and then when it goes down the pack it's it's uh, it's not not as bad you get you get a lot of flavors and you know the the mouth you pick up different flavor profiles on different parts of the tongue and so give it a chance to kind of Kind of coat the whole tongue and right. see, you know, see what all flavors you pick up. I like that. I find myself nosing my whiskey a lot mm-hmm. because for me, the opportunity to nose the whiskey 
it lets me know what I'm gonna taste before I actually taste it. You know, like I can pick up the vanilla, the caramel. You know, sometimes it's oaky. You know, you can pick all that up in the nose, and then you're almost—I don't know if it's like a premeditation that you feel, but you can almost know before you get into the whiskey what you're gonna expect a little bit. And every now and then, I'm surprised. Sometimes you have a strong nose and a, a weak flavor, right. you know, or or a weak nose and a strong flavor, but. Right. For the most part, I found that nosing it just gives me an incredible appreciation of what I'm about to taste. And this is an example of, you know, I've nosed it several times and it smells great. And it tastes incredible, too. And I was just checking. I was just checking all this one. It's a, it's 120 proof. It doesn't drink that hot. It doesn't. Uh, it's, it's 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 very pleasant. But, um, you know, that's another factor. Some people um including myself you know frequently add, add a few drops of water sometimes uh you know i'll start just drinking it neat mm-hmm. and then um particularly the first time i've had something after i've had a few sips and add a little bit of water and see what it does a lot of times it'll, it'll open it up particularly on the higher proofs and uh that's that's another little trick that people learn i don't use ice uh and there are there are there are plenty of people who do so again i'm not going to criticize I believe there's even a master distiller that, that uses ice. Uh, won't, won't name any names, but you know, again, nothing wrong with it. Just whatever you prefer. But what I find is the uh, the ice cools it down, and that uh, reduces the the molecules, va- the, the evaporation of the okay. molecules. So you don't get quite as much aroma. It kind of mutes the flavors. So you know, you might do it if you're if you're trying to tone down some of the heat if it's too hot. But uh, in general, I prefer just to use just a room temperature water and kind of bring it down to whatever proof I think is best if, if, if I want to bring it down a little bit. Now, there was a post I put on Facebook about, you know, a gentleman should know how to order a proper drink. And you responded and you said, I prefer my neat, you know, and it just shows you that people have different preferences. When you posted it, I just fell out laughing. <laughs> I just thought it was amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> You know, I guess uh, when I first started, I, I probably uh, was uh, drinking other ways too. You know, the, but I've, I've gravitated toward toward just drinking it neat. And, and actually, I've uh, experimented some of the glasses. The, the Glencairn to me is a little bit uh, has a little bit too much aroma uh, when you get to some of the high proofs. The Kentucky Bourbon Trail has come out with a, a glass that's a little bit wider mm-hmm. uh, mouth, and that's generally what I use at home most okay. of the time. Uh, so. That's something else people can play with, and you know, everybody's got a different preference. Some people like uh, stems, some mm-hmm. people don't like stems, so you might play a little bit with. Uh, there's a gamut of ga- glasses out there, you know, yeah. and there seems to be a new glass every few months. You know, uh, Spiegelos come out with a new glass with the yeah. the bottom that cools, so yeah. you don't have to put ice in the spirit. You know, it's right. just so many different ones. Uh, Northern has a glass. You know, Libby has several. You know, glasses are. I guess it's just like the the cut on your cigar. You know, you want a straight cut or a V cut or a punch. It's all personal preference. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've changed there also. I've, I've I'd always done a straight cut, and last year I bought um, I forget the brand right now, but they came out with a new V cut. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful cutter, and it cuts a little deeper. And I've, I've switched totally to that V cut. The Calibri. That's, that's it. Okay. Calibri V cut. Yeah, I like that too because I, I think you can actually taste more of the flavors because mm-hmm. it allows you to pull a little smoke in that V. That's just my personal opinion, but you know. Well, I think draw is really critical. That's the first observation about the cigar is how does it draw? And generally, I think they'll draw a little bit better again with that little deeper cut. Mm-hmm. Some people think that it may unwrap the wrapper with that deeper cut, but 
I've only had it happen to me once. Well, that's kind of what kept me away from it, is I thought it might hurt the wrapper in some ways. Occasionally, that uh, the cap will, will come off once it gets moist, mm-hmm. but um, it doesn't really hurt anything. Just take it off and put it in the ashtray, and I've really not had as many problems as I thought I would. I prefer Torpedoes Cut V-Cut. Yeah. I yeah. mean, for like the Padron series, the 1926s, I prefer them. Just V-Cut, and it's just something about how sharp it feels, and it just, like you said, it just opens up. Well, with the torpedoes uh, in a V-cut, you're going to get a you know, very, very small opening. And so that may also concentrate some of the flavors. It's interesting. What, wow. do, you think, what do you think of the bourbon? I absolutely love it. I mean, I can see why someone paid three fifty for it. Yeah. 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 And like I say, this is the one that we, we tasted this. Uh, this was our first sample of the evening as we started going through it. And it didn't take long to come back to it and just say that, that was it. That tasting was very quick. Look at the legs on that thing. You know, you spin it around and it sticks to the glass. Yep. Wow. I would just like to say excellent job on these picks. I mean, I've had two so far and they're incredible. The Whiskey Smoke with Yuante Curry, brought to you by El Cubano Cigars. Find your favorite smoke at El Cubano, 904 East Main Street, League City, Texas. Family owned and operated El Cubano. Blended by Cubans, handmade in Texas. For a second there, I was trying to open that bottle, and I was making all kind of noise, and I was like, oh, hell, this is going to be bad. Uh, it's, it's good. It lets them know we're, uh, we're here drinking. <laughs> There's very few sounds that are as cool out there as that, that pop. Yeah, I like that. Too much here, but I guess. All right, as you can hear, we're back. Uh, we're back with Alan Richards, and he's just poured me a glass of this fine, smooth ambler. Uh, so, Alan, I've seen you at tastings, and I've seen you giving out Jefferson's and telling us about Jefferson's. Let's talk about a little Jefferson's. So, Jefferson's is owned by Castle Brands. Good friend of mine, he used to be a next door neighbor, uh, now lives in Dallas, asked me if I'd be willing to do tastings for him here in the Houston area. You know, I couldn't pass up an opportunity for uh, some free booze and to to talk to people about whiskey, so I agreed to do that. Castle Brands uh, has uh, the, the, the Jefferson's line. They do Napogue Castle Irish whiskey and uh, Gosling rum, and then a, a few other. I think they have a limoncello, uh, but that's the primary products. I'm, uh, I do tastings around town. At, um, I've mainly done specs in the past. With the upcoming holidays, I have some uh, appointments set up at uh, some of the Total Wine stores to do some tastings there. But um, Jefferson's is a, uh, is a Kentucky bourbon. Primarily, it's sourced. Uh, they do have uh, some product of their own coming online. Uh, they own a part of um, Kentucky Artisan Distilleries. Mm-hmm. And so some of that product that they've been distilled uh, is, uh, is getting uh, of age to work. They can start blending it into some of their products. But uh, they, they typically blend to a, a profile using um, a variety of, of, of products, in the past, it's been most uh, sourced, but then now they're starting to have some of their own product that they're able to blend into it. So, is there a favorite of yours in the in the line? They've uh, they tried uh, some of the um, the finishes. Mm-hmm. Probably um, one of the wine finishes is one that I like, and I'm trying to recall the exact name of it. Um, the Pritchard's Cabernet Cask. Yes, it's the the Pritchard Hill. Okay, uh, I kind of like the Pritchard Hill. Uh, it's a little lighter Cabernet. The first one they came out with was uh, was Groth, mm-hmm. which is um, kind of a heavier Cabernet. 
It, it was very good too, but some people prefer that one. Uh, I kind of like the Pritchard Hill. They just came out with a twin oak. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to taste some of that recently, and and it's uh, it's grown on me. I kind of I kind of like it. It's uh, I guess double aged. The most unique one they have you probably heard of is the Aged at Sea, which comes across as being maybe a bit gimmicky, but uh, it it does change the flavor. It's very popular among a lot of people, so I can right. see how that would uh, that would have its appeal. I like the the first five voyages. Okay, so you, so you've tried it. Yeah. So have you have you tried some other Jeffersons? I've tried. Uh, let's see. I've tried the Shelf's the collaboration. I think there were two of those. Uh, I've tried a few Jeffersons. Yeah. I can't remember them all, but I've tried a few. I, I've not had the collaborations. Okay. So that would be a new one for me. Nepo Castle is very interesting. They're mostly sherry finished, but they're also a single malt pot still, which. Uh, would probably more closely resemble a, uh, a Scotch whiskey, yeah, but it's not peated. I find it to be quite good, particularly the probably my favorite is the uh, 16, 16 year old. They have a 12, 14, 16, and a, I believe a 21. But I, I really like the 16. But. Are you sampling all of those when you do tastings? or No, when we do tastings, we'll usually pick uh, one of each, uh, maybe one Jefferson's, mm-hmm. one Napogue, and then, then the, uh, the Gosling rum. But uh, I've had a chance on my own to to taste through the line. Nice. And usually we'll do, uh, say, Jefferson's Reserve, which is kind of their second in their product line, then uh, the Nepo Castle 12, which is their, their entry level, and then, then the Gosling Rum. The Gosling Rum, uh, I can taste it neat or on ice if you like, but uh, a lot of times I'll just make a dark and stormy, and that's that's what people really really go for. When they try dark and stormy, if they haven't had it before, they they like that, and that tends to that tends to move the bottles. And some people don't know what a dark and stormy they, is. They don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Just have to explain. It's essentially a Moscow mule with a rum instead of vodka. Nice. So we talk about a lot of gentlemen things on the show. And, you know, nothing's better than sharing whiskey and cigars among gentlemen. But I see you're into vintage cars and you have a red Mustang. What got you into vintage cars? Well, um, when I was in high school, we, uh, we were uh, kind of poor. During high school, I had personally owned three cars and they were junkers and that way I always had one that ran and I was always working on the other two and so um, I developed some knowledge around working on cars in fact that's kind of what got me into mechanical engineering so that's just that's just kind of evolved into because just love of cars in general and I've always wanted an older car and it's been almost 20 years ago I, I had an opportunity to, to pick up a uh, 1966 uh, Mustang convertible red all original came out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So if you know that area, it's dry, mm-hmm. no uh, rust. There's no rust. That's that's the unique part about this particular car. If you if you're familiar with Mustangs, um, and I usually refer to them as rustangs because they're just rusted out. Mm-hmm. Particularly if anything came from the East Coast. But even around here, you know, you drive them down to the beach and stuff. They get the salt on them. They, their quarter panels are all rusted out. Mm-hmm. And stuff. But this is an all all original metal. There's no no rust on it. So I haven't done a, a, a what I'd call a total complete restoration. Um, but if you wanted to, this would be a good one to start with. But it's a driver. I mean, it, it runs. I'll take it out. Yeah, I've seen you bring it to the cigar lounge a couple of times. Yeah. I, well, what I've said is if I, if I go spend a bunch of money and, you know, get a fancy paint job, then I'd be afraid to drive it. And, you know, would, I'd be afraid to park it in a parking lot. Somebody put a door ding on it or mm-hmm. something. So. I kind of like it like it is. It's just it's a it's a neat car. It looks good. I don't mind parking it in the parking lot, and it's meant to be driven. So it's kind of like whiskey. It's meant to be drank. meant to be drank. Cars are meant to be driven. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy them. The thing that I notice with everything that 
goes along with cigars, whiskey, and the gentleman process is that there's almost always going to be an excess, and there's going to be things that you can't get to. You know, in your cigar collection, are there cigars that you have saved for a special moment, and if so, what are they? Um, there's a couple that I've got that I've saved uh, over the years. Well, some that I, that I smoke rather slowly. I, again, Padron. I've been able to get some of the like Padron. Um, I think they call it a family reserve. It's like a 45th, and then they've got a couple others. They're fairly pricey cigars. I bought a box or two of those, but you know, I only smoke you know, a couple a year, maybe. Don't go through those very fast. Some of the Arturo Fuente Añejos, mm-hmm. that's some that I, I generally try and buy a few every year and then put them back. And so what I'm smoking is going to be two, three, maybe four years old. But I, I don't really have too many that I would call you know, shelf queens. Just, mm-hmm. just sit there. I'll, I'll eventually go through them, I'm not really saving them for anything. But I kind of like to get a little age on them. It, it tends to mellow some of the flavors a little bit. There was one in, in particular that um, came out a few years ago, and I've saved a few of those. I may not smoke them. I think the name was Nos Ostro. Do you remember that one? No. It was one that came out, and then it went off the market and disappeared. So there's a few like that that are kind of rare mm-hmm. that uh, aren't around anymore. I've got a few whiskeys like that also that uh, just weren't made anymore, so you kind of keep those around because they're kind of one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, most of this I tend to enjoy, like I say, meant to be enjoyed. Are you a Cuban fan? Uh yeah, you know, that's uh, that's a tough one. I I have to say probably no. I mean, I've I've tried a number of Cuban cigars. There is a definite flavor profile mm-hmm. that uh, the Cubans have. I'm more of a Nicaraguan fan. Nicaraguan just has uh, the variety of regions. I think that's what uh, made Cuban cigars. As I understand it, they have like five growing regions that uh, are all slightly different profile, and so they're able to blend off of those various five regions to get get a flavor profile. Usually, you don't want a puro, something made from the same region or, or even the same farm. It doesn't have complexity, so they, they blend from different regions. Nicaragua has uh, Esteli, Jalapa, Condega, and then a little island, um, Monotepe. Probably pronouncing that one wrong. So they've got different regions they can pull from and, and blend. And But they've got uh, the soil that gives you this this, this rich minerally flavor that, that I like. So. I've got a few Cubans in my collection, but it's it's a kind of just a have, not, not something I do a lot of. I've looked at some of the Cubans that I have and some of the things that are showing up out of Nicaragua lately, and the construction is and the appearance is just amazing of the quality that's coming out of Nicaragua today. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, amazing. Well, and, and the Cubans now are, are government controlled, so they don't quite have the quality. They I think they rush them out kind of quick. So if you if you're going to get a Cuban. Probably not a bad idea to let it sit for a few months before you smoke it because it, it may still be kind of fresh when you get it. And if you do get a Cuban, make sure you check your source because there are a lot of counterfeits out there. Yeah, yeah, particularly certain brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cohiba. Cohiba is probably one of the most uh, you know fake cigars in the world. Money number twos. Yeah. When I was in the Dominican Republic, I saw somebody making some Cohibas. <laughs> <laughs> so that's... <laughs> You know, you go to, you go to the beach and you have the the guys come along with the boxes. They're trying to sell you cigars. Just you know, generally tip: never buy cigars on the beach if they say they're Cuban. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's what happens when you see a tourist. They're like, you know, that guy's a tourist. I'm going to go sell him some Cuban cigars. He's yep. going to buy them. He's yep. going to think he's getting the good stuff. Yep. 
you know, you just never know what you get. Generally, if uh, if it is a legitimate store, uh, I believe there's a, they're, they're branded. Cabano's SA. That's right. Yeah. So uh, look for that logo, and you've got a better chance of getting a real cigar. And on the bottom of your box, there's a, a stamp, and there's information where you can verify if the box is real or not. And chances are you don't want to buy a cigar, even if it's real. If someone happened to sell you a real one, which is highly improbably on the beach, there's a chance that that cigar is no longer going to be good because it's been around ocean water and all of that. And they've probably tried to peddle it for weeks before they got someone to buy it. So you just never know what you're going to get. So I would just tell you guys to stay away. Absolutely. Well, let's see here. I'm enjoying this quite well quite well i hadn't hadn't had this one open for a while uh fortunately i was able to save i've got i've still got a couple of these left and a couple of the four roses the angel's envy is one that uh, i guess i was going to talk about a little bit bring this old granddad back so you can see it. that angel's envy is an interesting process they um they send you three sample bottles mm-hmm. with different flavor profiles there's kind of a sweet kind of classic bourbon One's a little bit on the spicy side, and the other one is um, is port finished. And so your job is to take those three samples and blend them into a flavor profile that you like. So these are not single barrels like a lot of the the, the barrel picks. This is a blend, and but it's it's your it's your blend, and so you have an opportunity to blend it to whatever you like. This was a fun one. Uh, I, I remember the night that we did this. Uh, I mentioned uh, some of the other four horsemen. Uh, you have to understand that Steve and Pasha are uh, are PhDs. Randy and I are both engineers, so you've got some kind of analytical types. So when we um, when we did this this blend, we had to put together a, an elaborate experiment. I mean that we had it drawn out on paper. Uh, we had all the different percentages, and, and we had to go through a bunch of samples. And um, you know, being analytical engineers. This lists the uh, the percentages, and we couldn't just come up with you know nice round numbers. <laughs> We've got twenty eight percent of the, the sample A, forty five percent of B, and twenty seven of C. Wow! So we you know, we had to kind of get it down to to the details. But you can imagine as we were as we were doing this, we had quite a few samples. So if you can imagine four analytical top guys sitting around with beakers and measuring cups and getting kind of tipsy toward the end. It was a, it was a funny thing. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> wow. See, that's the thing that I love about whiskey and the, just the fellowship of whiskey. You can start off, you know, cause you guys came over and you knew you were going to pick this whiskey, but then the night just involves into a memory that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And it might not be that you guys are picking whiskey. It might just be, hey, look, you know, you want to decide to come over or Alan decided to come over and we were just talking and we were smoking. And, you know, I just remember us drinking this whiskey and we just started laughing and it just burns a memory into you. That's one thing that I just love about whiskey. I don't find too many other things in life that you can do that over, you know. Well, that's you know where I started at the beginning of the show. Is it's it's about the friendship and the camaraderie. I've, I've made lots of good friends over the years. There's some great people. We, we may have different political views and you know just different in a lot of ways, but we can come together over this you know this common experience. And, right. And we're all the same. We all we'll, all just we're all trying to get through this thing called life and do it together. And, right. And uh, this is one way to enjoy it. Right. The social lubricant. Yep. You know it lets down all barriers. 
you mentioned earlier, and I'll, I'll have to, to add to, to our conversation, uh, I've got a very tolerant wife. She's a beautiful lady, put up with, uh, with a lot from me and tolerates my hobbies. She says she doesn't have any hobbies because uh, she can't afford them with all the ones I've got. <laughs> <laughs> but between the audio and, and whiskey and little car thrown in there, you know, although she likes the car too. I, she doesn't care for the cigars or the whiskey so much, but um, she likes the Mustang. So That's amazing. So what do you think is the secret to a long, long life of a uh, happy life being married and a happy wife? 40 uh, years. Tolerance and uh, forgiveness. Okay. You know, we all make mistakes. Yeah. You know, and you can't dwell on them. You just have to forgive and, and, and go on. Don't, yeah. don't remember them and be patient with each other. But it, it's also it's also a commitment because there's, there's always struggles here and there. And you have to be committed to say, you know, we're going to we're going to work through this. You know, if you make that commitment, then uh, it can happen. I like that. I appreciate that because not only are you speaking to me, but you're speaking to the audience. And, you know, as a newlywed, I'm two years in now, but. As a newlywed, I'm always looking for ways to groom and shape my marriage to where it lives. It has a long span because I see a lot of people now, they get married and they spend a lot of money on weddings. And right. before the end of the year, they're divorced or they're not seeing out of the eye. Right. And, you know, that compromise and tolerance is it's big. Yep. That's important. So. And I imagine this whiskey helps along the way, too. Yeah, it helps a little bit. So congratulations on your, your marriage, and Thanks. I wish you a long marriage. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, guys, again, Alan Richards, we'd like to thank him for coming and sharing his incredible whiskey. It's been incredible. Until next time, cigars, whiskey, and good company. Thank you for listening to the Whiskey Smoke. The Whiskey Smoke with Yuante Curry is sponsored by El Cubano Cigars, blended by Cubans, handmade in Texas. Located at 904 East Main Street, League City, Texas. Call 281-332-9096 or go to elcubanocigars.com.